Welcome to today's message from Transformation Church. Well, we could just forego the preaching this morning and have a morning of worship. Thank you, Josh. It's wonderful to have you with us today. It's um, a privilege and an honor for us. Thank you. And your team, for all of you. Thank you for being here, making that. Yeah, yeah, show them some love. Show them some love. All right, well, I think most of you know who I am. I'm Ruth Jowdry. My husband, Peter, uh, works here with the Nehemiah Project in Altoona. And um, Pastor Jim decided to uh, take another Sunday today, and so we just want to um, thank him for this opportunity. I guess he figured you all were tired of hearing Peter. You'd heard him a couple times in the last few months. So he decided to go, you know, the bottom of the, reach to the bottom of the barrel today and go for Ruth. <clears throat> Actually, he decided to go for the better half. You know how that is, right? Okay. Well, the Lord is good. Um, do you ever notice, though, that the older you get, that the dumber people seem to get around you? Have you ever noticed that? I know that... <laughs> The older I get, the more I know I don't know, but just like common sense seems to have lost a place in America. Recently, I saw this on a Marks and Spencer bread pudding. Product will be hot after heating. Okay. And then on a Boots children's cough medicine, it says, do not drive a car or operate machinery after taking this medicine. Okay. On a nightall sleep aid, warning may cause drowsiness. Well, that's what you were hoping for, right? Okay. And on most brands of Christmas lights, it says, for indoor or outdoor use only. Okay. On a Japanese food processor, not to be used for the other use. I'm not sure what the other... And Sunsbury Peanuts, warning, contains nuts. <laughs> and I love this one. On a children's Superman costume, wearing of this garment does not enable you to fly. <laughs> just, just in case you were wondering, the law of gravity still applies when you put on a Superman costume because, you know, you think that. Don't try this at home. Well, let's take a moment and pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful today for your faithfulness in our lives, your goodness today. And Lord, as we look into your word, we do ask that you would bring it alive to our hearts, that it would be a Rima word for us today that we could live by. And we do uh, pray for our pastor and his family today. Pray you would bless them, refresh them, strengthen them, and encourage them in the Lord today, we pray. And we thank you for them. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Judges chapter 6. It's also going to be on the screen. Um, so you can follow along that way if you prefer to choose to do that. The book of Judges. Now, we're going to look at a very familiar portion of Scripture, but my emphasis is going to be a little bit different today from that 
portion of scripture, Judges chapter 6. In this book of Judges, the children of Israel, they were in a situation where they were, uh, Israel was corrupt once again and it was being oppressed. They were being oppressed by their neighbors. And so God raised up judges to serve Israel. And when he raised up judges, they were raised up for two reasons. They were raised up to avenge Israel of their enemies and to purge Israel of their adulteries. So this is why these judges were put in place. But God was Israel's king during this time, and we see this pointed out by Samuel when Israel wanted to throw off this form of government and have a king. They wanted to have a king of their own, like be like the other nations. Gideon is the fourth of the judges. And during times of peace, not a whole lot is recorded in the scripture. We just see, like, right at the end of chapter 5, it says, then the land had peace 40 years. So not a whole lot is written about what happened during those 40 years. So with Gideon, we begin the story of another situation of a trial uh, that God allows to come their way and of deliverance. So let's look at the first six verses to begin. Is this me? Okay. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And for seven years, he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern people invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. And they did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count the men and their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. So they just kind of came in and ravaged their land and took over. And look at verse 6. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord. So Israel's in trouble again. As you, can, as you know, probably from experience, either your own or from looking at other people, whenever there's sin, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be situations that arise. There's going to be suffering and there's going to be misery. And for seven years, God gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Seven long years of being ravished by them. Midian joined Moab and others, and they were, that, these people were despised by all. Now, this is the key because they were a people that Israel had formerly subdued. When they were sent in, they were uh, told to conquer and to take over. Well, simply by their numbers, they prevailed. They weren't, these people weren't particularly intelligent. In fact, one author says they were unintelligent and uncultured. The Midianites came up with their livestock and their tents, and they moved in, and they destroyed what belonged to Israel. And then in verse 6, Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. Do you know any kind of cry-out Christians? Whenever they're in trouble, whenever something difficult comes along, that's when they cry out to the Lord. Of course, that wouldn't be any of us. My message is simple today. What is in your life today that is impoverishing you? What will come along that will cause you to cry out to the Lord? Will you allow it to cause you to cry out to the Lord? 
Or will you ignore it? Will you continue on your way, ignoring what God is trying to do, ignoring how he's trying to get your attention, ignoring how he's trying to work in your life? It might be a small thing, or it could be a large thing. Let's look at the next few verses, starting at 7. When the Israelites cried to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought you up out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. I snatched you from the power of Egypt and from the hand of your oppressors. I drove them from before you and gave you their land. I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. So what happened here when Israel cried out to the Lord? So Israel, after seven years of ignoring what God wanted for them, they finally cried out to the Lord. And what did he do? He answered. When you cry out to the Lord, regardless of whether it's a situation you've placed yourself in or one that you're in uh, due to someone else's fault or a situation beyond your control, he will answer. He prepared their hearts and he prepared their ears to hear and he sent a prophet. You know, whenever God raises up a prophet or sends someone to you or to a nation or to a church, to a land, he wants to have mercy upon that land. He wants to have mercy upon that situation. He's endeavoring to get the attention of the people involved, just like we, read, we can read about Jonah. So the prophet reminds them of the great things that God has done for them in the past. He starts off by saying, you know, think about what God has done for you. Remember the Lord. Remember all of the things that he's done. He brought you out of Egypt, out of poverty, out of slavery. He delivered you from your oppressors. This is a reminder that the Midianites oppressing them was not because God didn't want to or couldn't deliver them. They weren't going through this for the last seven years because God was powerless. And he said, and I gave you possession of a good land. God gave you possession. So he's reminding them of all the things. And this is what I expect, that you recognize me of, as God and do not fear the gods of the Amorites. We live in a nation today that's not really recognizing God as God. There's not a lot of respect for any kind of authority, let alone God. And my mother-in-law used to say they have no uh, respect for God, man, or the devil. And that's pretty much where we're at many, in many aspects. But they weren't recognizing God for who he was. They didn't want, he didn't, God didn't want them fearing the Amorites or any false gods, any man-made gods or any man. But they wouldn't obey. And that's why they're in the situation that they're in. So what happens next? The prophet comes with a word. And let's look again at verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Joash, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But, sir, Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all the wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, 
Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Hmm. So the prophet came with a word, and we can assume that at least some of them repented because of the calling of Gideon is upon them. Gideon's own father was involved in worshiping the Baal, which uh, was a false god built of wood. Who was it that spoke to Gideon? The angel of the Lord. And he promised to be with him. He found him threshing wheat. He called him and he told him he was qualified and he assured him that he would be successful. He's speaking to him directly. But Gideon questions the messenger. He says, if the Lord is with us, then why is this happening? And where are all the wonders that used to happen? Where are all the wonders we heard about? Have you ever been there? God has called you, commissioned you, promised to be with you, to go before you, to be your rear guard. And we respond with, what about this seemingly injustices of the world? What about this situation? And what about that situation? What about this difficult circumstance? Lord, if you're with me and you've called me, then why doesn't everything just go smoothly? Well, let me tell you, in case you haven't found out already in life, that just because God calls you, commissions you for something, places you in a certain location, that does not mean that everything will go smoothly. And when it doesn't, that doesn't mean that God didn't put you there. We have a false expectation if we believe in a kind of Christianity that says, because I'm in the place God has placed me and I'm here and I'm called of God, that everything's just going to be smooth sailing. Wow. So, he's finding out. We've all asked God what's going on. But then he goes on. Do you notice that the angel just kind of ignores the questions? He doesn't even answer them right away. He just goes on to verse 14. The Lord turned to him and said, he didn't didn't address the question. He just said, go in the strength you have (laughs) and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Am I not sending you? Go in the strength that you have. Going in the strength that you have when you feel weak is a step of faith. And faith activates God to move heaven and earth on your behalf and bring the answer. Going in our weakness and in his strength is the best way to go. Because it moves God's hand on our behalf. I can remember 20, how many ever? There's six, 26 years ago when we, our family left Canada and migrated to the United States, we had a little station wagon and a little U-Haul that we hauled behind us with a few of our possessions, the few things that we didn't sell off before moving to, the, to Miami, Florida. And um, yes, there were many people that were afraid uh, for our safety when we were going to move you know, from Eastern Canada to Miami. And my husband told them not to worry because as soon as you crossed the Miami-Dade County line, if you didn't already have a gun, they gave you one. So, but not, not really true. However, we survived our seven years in Miami, and 
we moved there with a missions organization. We were living by faith. And just as we began our journey, we were set to leave. There was a little bit of a snowstorm in leaving Canada that day. And we got down, weren't we in Maine, somewhere in the state of Maine? We're not very far yet from New Brunswick into Maine. And um, one of the bearings went on the trailer wheel. And so here we are on the side of the road. It's snowing. And we have three young children. And our, my husband's parents think we're We've lost our minds anyway. And so we're thinking, um, what are we going to do now? Are we going to call home? You know, are we going to get this fixed and turn back? What are we going to do? And so it, somehow um, we decided, well, let's just go ahead and pray. And Nathan, our son, our oldest child, was eight years old at the time and uh, a mighty warrior for the Lord at eight years of age. And we prayed, and then we said, okay, what do you feel like God is saying? And Nathan says, go. So? We went, go ye, go ye, go ye. This is what he got in his spirit. So we got the thing fixed. Uh, somehow we got some help and we got it fixed because we weren't sure, you know, if this was going to be a problem all the way to Florida or what was going to happen. And there were, once it was repaired, there was never another problem with it. And so go in the strength that you have. There were so many times throughout those first number of years in our moving um, and living by faith and moving to the United States, that we felt very weak. But it was in those weak moments and in those weak times that God would come and he would show himself to be strong. And he provided for every single need. Go in the strength that you have. Before we actually got on the road, the previous summer we were... um, we had gone to the island of Grenada and done a one-year mission outreach, and then we were back into Canada for a few months, and then we were doing some training with Youth with a Mission. But the summer, we were just deciding about moving and, and coming to the States and living by faith, and we were preaching, a, my husband was preaching at a youth camp, and there was this precious older gentleman. He had been a, a chaplain, and he'd lived by faith many, many years of his life. And we were having lunch with him one day, and we were just sitting and chatting and hearing about his life and his stories. And he said one thing to us that we've never forgotten in all these 27 years later. He said, you won't see the miracles until you get on the road and start to move. God can't steer a parked car. So you go in the strength that you have, you see, and God will provide. Well, this story continues, and we know the outcome. We know that Gideon is successful, and he defeats the Midianites, and they're driven back, and they're pushed back. But many times we miss a part that I want to focus on for a few moments this morning. Verses 22 through 26 says, When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Ah, sovereign Lord, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Fear not, peace, don't be afraid. You're not going to die. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and called it, The Lord is Peace. The same night the Lord said to him, Take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of the height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. 
So this is what Nehemiah sets out to do. And following this, he has the victory and defeats the Midianites. Before the victory could come, though, however, Gideon had to take a stand and he had to deal with the past. And there are some people here today that you are struggling with living in victory in certain areas of your life. And God is saying to you today, you need to take a stand. There are some things you need to take a stand on. You've been wishy-washy about. You've been letting the enemy run uh, free in your life in this area. And it's time to tear down the Father's altar. It's time to cut down. And this takes, took some action. It wasn't passive. He had to get up and he had to do something. He had to make a move. He said, and then build a proper kind of altar. Some of us are having trouble entering into the fulfillment of God's promises because we won't let go of the past or tear down those altars that we have in our lives that are not a proper kind of altar. What are you holding on to today? What is it you're holding on to? We're to offer a proper sacrifice to God. Now, one thing I want to focus on for a moment is that this scripture says, with the same wood, build a proper kind of altar. When I, when I read that one time, it just hit me. And I was like, with the very same wood that an altar was built to Baal, we're going to take that stuff and we're going to build a proper altar to God. Isn't that an amazing thought? The things that are in our lives that we feel like, oh, it's too late. I've messed up too badly. I'm never going to get this right. God is saying with those very same wood, with the same things you've been through, with whatever it is that makes up you, who you are, those are the things that you take and you build a proper altar to God with those things. What's in your life today that's impoverishing, impoverishing you? Will you allow it to cause you to cry out to God? Mm. Are you willing to tear down your father? Maybe not your physical father. Maybe it's an altar you've built. Maybe it's something you've picked up from society. Maybe it's uh, from living in a nation that's full of secular humanism. And uh, a society that dethrones God and deifies man. And that affects every area of our lives. Are you willing to build a proper altar to God today? with the very same wood, those very things that you've been through. Now, don't misunderstand me. God does, it's not God's will for someone to be a prostitute so they can minister effectively to prostitutes. That's not what I'm saying. But, but if you have been one, God will take those things, and with that same wood, he will use them for you to build a proper altar and for you to have a ministry out of that. Hmm. Start where you're at today. Take what you've got. Take, this, take the wood that's in your life today. You've heard it said your test becomes your testimony. And that it's not so much what happens in you, to you in life that matters, but it, as it is how you respond to what happens to you in life. So how are we going to respond today? Are we going to take those things and build a proper altar? We know Romans 12 very well, it says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You may say, how do I build a proper altar? What do I do? Well, you recognize, first of all, what is the truth? What is in your life that's not a proper altar? What's it there that's, that's 
in place of God. Anything that is in our lives that is not being done God's way is an altar to Baal or to whatever that is an altar to. He says, offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship or your reasonable service. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. One translation says, don't allow the world to squeeze you into its mold. But I'm afraid as Christians in America today, We've been so affected by the world, it infiltrates our thinking and infiltrates our mind, which is the gate to how we are formed. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So we renew our mind, and that's done on the word of God. Another scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5. A familiar one again. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. So we have the ability, we have the weaponry, we have what is needed. We don't wage war like the world does. We don't fight the same way the world fights. We have divine power. It's there and it's available to us to demolish those strongholds and to build proper altars before the Lord. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And in order to do that, in order to demolish arguments and pretensions and things that set itself up against the knowledge of God, we have to have some knowledge of God. We have to be in the word. We have to know what truth is. The truth will set us free. It, uh, uh, spiritual warfare is not so much a power encounter as it is a truth encounter. You have an encounter with truth, and that truth is applied to your life, and it changes you. But we can't apply the truth if we don't know what it is. How much time do we spend in the word of God each week compared to how much before the television set? We demolish arguments in every pretension. What is a pretension? Well, little children like to pretend. They like to play make-believe. I watch my five-year-old, our five-year-old granddaughter uh, walking around just talking to herself and moving things here and there and talking to these inanimate objects and having all kinds of fun in an imaginary world, just pretending. And um, many years ago when we first went to Grenada for our one-year mission. We flew to the island of Grenada, and our youngest daughter, Julianne, the mother of this child who's got quite an imagination, I guess it runs in the family there, she took two friends with her on the airplane to Grenada, Psalm Plum and Jerry. We heard about Psalm Plum and Jerry. We never met them, but we heard about them for quite a few years. And then um, when she took them to Grenada, she left them there apparently because she never brought them back. Imagination is a wonderful thing, but we 
demolish arguments and every pretension, every pretend thing, everything that is not real. Do you know that you walk around pretty much every day wasting emotional energy on pretensions? Lies from the enemy? Things that he sets up in our mind and we're thinking, oh, well, that person said this and they didn't do that and they said, so I must have, I must have offended them or they must be mad at me or so and so, you know. Pretensions. And we believe the lies of the enemy. The enemy's job is to make good look evil and evil look good. And he's doing a pretty good job of that in this nation today. But we don't have to fall for it because when we know the truth, we don't have to live in a world of pretension. It sets itself up against the knowledge of God. So we have to dispel the pretensions with the truth. We have to speak truth to ourselves. We have to talk to ourselves. Yes, it's okay to talk to yourself. Just make sure you're telling yourself the truth. Use the word of God. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And when we do that, we can build a proper altar. We're going to pray in just a moment if the that worship band would like to come back. We're getting ready to close. Romans 12, once again, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. So the questions for us today are, what's in your life that's impoverishing you? Is there something going on that should be causing you to cry out to God? Will you allow it to cause you to cry out to God? Or will you continue to ignore what God may be trying to say to you and to do in your life? You know, God wants to speak to you. God wants to speak to you. We have a relationship with the Lord. I'm not so concerned about the Christians that say they're hearing from God all the time as I am about the ones who never hear from God. God wants to speak to you. He wants a relationship with you. He's endeavoring to work in your life. Are we willing to tear down Father's altars or any altars we've built, regardless of the source or where they've come? Are we willing to build a proper kind of altar today? A proper kind of altar in our lives today that says, I've been a little lax in this area. I've been a little apathetic here, and I've allowed the enemy to come in. And sometimes, you know, after something goes on for a while, we don't have the perspective on it any longer. We, we just think it's perfectly okay. We have a generation of people living in our nation today that think sin is perfectly okay. Sins of all kinds. Because the catch word is tolerance, isn't it? We can love a sinner and still hold true to the word of God that says sin is sin. God hasn't changed just because we live in 2019. God is a God of love and mercy, yes, but he's still a God of justice. His love and mercy says, I provided Jesus to be your savior. But he's a God of justice that says, I must punish sin. If you want to know what God thinks of sin, look to the cross. Look at what it did to his only son. 
God had to turn his back on him. And Jesus cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? That was because at that moment, every sin that had ever been committed, ever would be committed, was being laid to the charge of Jesus. And God couldn't look on it. God is not an old man in heaven with a beard sitting in a rocking chair saying, oh, boys will be boys. Let him off with it. God is still a God of justice. If there's an altar in your life today that has been built that is not pleasing to the Lord, it needs to come down. And you will never have the victory and be able to move forward in the way God wants you to or has designed or has a destiny for your life until it does, until you deal with it. It took some courage for Gideon to deal with his father's altar. In fact, he went out and did it in the night. If you keep reading the chapter, you'll see. But the Lord still honored it and brought him the victory over the Midianites. And the Lord can bring you the victory today as well, whatever that thing that he's putting his finger on in your life today. We're the church. We're the church. We're not the world. We're not the country club. And we're to look different than the world. But what happened here, the reason why they had judges was to purge Israel of their idolatries. That's why we belong to a church, to keep us strong in the Lord, to encourage one another so we don't enter into sin and that we can be accountable one to another. So I encourage you to examine your heart this morning. Oh, God is merciful. Because when we cry out to him, when they cried out, what did he do? He answered. He sent a prophet. God will answer you this morning when you cry out to him. Let's stand. Let me just say that every day I work with, I work with dying people. Um, I'm a hospice chaplain. And I see two extremes, people. People that have lived their lives for the Lord and their families. Their families have a, a strong foundation. And what a great song us to end with today. Thank you, Pastor Josh. Their families have a strong foundation and, and people have, they have no regrets. They're, they're excited. I have one lady, she, she just doesn't die and she just wants to and, she's just, and she just smiles and she has this big smile on her face and she's full of the joy of the Lord and she says, I can't wait to see Jesus. Can't wait to see Jesus. yet I've seen the other extreme. I've seen someone tormented. And as, you know, as much as we come in with our medications and so on, there's, there's a difference. And there's a difference in what the family's saying and how the family's living. And you won't regret when you get to that day where you're coming to the end of your life that you had this strong foundation. You won't regret that you tore down the altars to Baal and you built a proper foundation and you got the sin out of your life and out of your home and you live for the Lord 100% and you walked in victory and in the fulfillment of all that he had for you because you were totally obedient to the Lord. I can't quite put my finger on it, but there's someone here today that's, 
you're involved in some things that maybe no one else even around you knows about it. But you need to tear down that altar and you need to get some accountability in your life for that situation. You need to get some Christian brothers or sisters around you for that situation. We're the church. We're the church. We're the body of Christ. extend their borders this week, Lord. You would give them new territory in you this week, Lord. And Father, I pray that you would bless them with peace, your shalom. God, that you would um, lift up your countenance upon them. You would go before them. You would be their rear guard. And that, Lord, that we would indeed go out being the body of Christ to the world this week.